Pastor Rabbi Jack, would you just come and just share what you have in our hearts? I would Jesus. be delighted, Amen. brother. God bless you. What an honor to be here for this man from Phoenix, Arizona to come in the snow. I'm loving it. Let's give God all the praise tonight. Amen. He brought us here safely. Amen. Uh, you have no idea what an honor and a pleasure it is for me to be here tonight uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, by the way, I am from Phoenix, Arizona, where it is probably about 200 degrees hotter there than it is outside right now. Uh, but uh, I was uh, uh, on, on this latest tour of mine. Uh, this is not my first time here in Charlevoix. In fact, the reason I'm here is because a wonderful gentleman by the name of Michael Cohan gave my ministry a call. I'm the staff evangelist for Jewish Voice Ministries International with Rabbi Jonathan Burness based in Phoenix, Arizona. And we are a ministry that, that understands the importance of all of the scriptures scriptures, including Romans 1.16. Does anybody know that scripture by any chance by heart? If you do raise your hand, don't be afraid. This is not an altar call yet. Uh, yes, brother, Romans 1.16. What does it say? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well done. Well done. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and also to the nations. And for the past 50 years, our ministry has said, you know what? There are so many wonderful ministries out there that are getting the word out that we also need a ministry specifically to focus on getting those Jewish people saved as well. Uh, because in case you didn't know, Jewish people do not have another way to heaven. Uh, there's been some belief, and, and I don't know where it comes from and I've actually had some well-meaning people come up to me and said well you know you're Jewish you're one of the chosen people so I, I guess I don't need to share Jesus with you because you've got another way to heaven by obeying your commandments how many of you know that's not true Praise the Lord. And if you didn't know it's not true, you do now. Uh, because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And, and what I did was, uh, just to be sure, I looked at the Greek of that word no one. And, and you know what it means in the Greek? Uh, it, it means no one. Even the Jews. And so we need Jesus just like everybody else. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed to be with you. Before I give the testimony, two stories. Um, as I said, this is not my first time in Charlevoix. The first time I was here, and I remember the exact date. It was September 11 of 2011. And the reason that I remember the date was because on that date here in Charlevoix, there was obviously a special service, an observance service of 9-11 that took place, I guess, under the band shell right there in town, and you all know the area that I'm talking about, I attended that service, and I was there on that day, and a little bit later on that night, I joined uh, a wonderful pastor friend, Dan Gilmore of the Church of the Nazarene here in Charlevoix, and, and spoke here that night, and uh, what a wonderful blessing it is to be back, despite the fact that it was warmer at that time. And, and uh, uh, let me explain, uh, this is my first time obviously here in the winter, and it, it, I, I guess I really got the shock as I was driving into Michigan last night from Rochester, New York, where I had been yesterday. 
And uh, on the way in, I was on Highway 69 and decided to get off in, in Lansing and, and do a little shopping at the Meyer. And when I went into the Meyer supermarket over there, I'm getting some things. And, and the cash register, the person at the register said, do you have your, your Meyer card? And I said, well, no, I'm sorry, I don't. Could you put one in for me? She said, oh, you're not from around here. I said, no, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. And at that moment, the woman looked at me and said, what are you doing here? And uh, I said, well, you know, I'm here for a prophecy conference and, and here to bless Israel and here to be uh, in, indeed a blessing for each and every one. And so glad that I can join you. Let me give you a little bit of a testimony first so that we can get to know one another a little bit better tonight and over the next two nights. And then we'll get into the message tonight, which, trust me, will appear on this screen in just a few minutes. It's called, Why Bless Israel? Or Why Should the Church Bless Israel? And by the way, as I'm giving you this testimony, part of the reason that I'm doing this is because I also want to give you the time and the opportunity to maybe get a pad or some paper and pens because this is a good note-taking message and teaching tonight as the next two nights will be. So suffice it to say, um, if you are someone who normally comes to church ready to take notes on the message or what's being taught, tonight is your night. And on the other hand, if you are someone who normally comes to church and you don't normally take notes, then I will tell you tonight is the night of your repentance. You are definitely going to want to get this stuff down. And and as you're preparing, uh, let me give you the testimony part. Uh, I was... um, as, as Pastor mentioned, I'm Jewish, and uh, I was born in a Jewish home uh, in the Holy Land, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, that's terrible. And, and I grew up in a very, very secular Jewish household where my parents expected three things out of me because I was a Jewish son. Uh, the first thing they asked me to do is they said, we want you, because you are Jewish, we want to make sure that you attend Hebrew school along with regular elementary school so that you can learn the language of your faith. And I did that. And the second thing they wanted me to do was they said, when you turn the age of 13, we want you to have your bar mitzvah. And I did that. And the third thing they wanted me to do is they said, when the time comes for you to get married, we want to make sure that you marry a nice Jewish girl. And two out of three ain't bad. Um, I was uh, about 27, 28 years old and fell head over heels with this wonderful, how can I describe her, Uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. So already, folks, she's not Jewish. Um, Protestant girl from Northeast Philadelphia who grew up going to a private Christian academy and was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. And how many of you know this really didn't go over that well with the family? Uh, and and I, I tried to calm them down. I said, listen, don't worry. I, I said, I, I know she's not Jewish. I, but but I, I said to everybody, I said, look, I have a plan. And, and my plan was that, uh, that I was going to get this, this Christian girl to forget all about this Jesus stuff and convert and become Jewish like me. And that was my plan. <laughs> How many of you know that she also had a plan? 
And her plan was that she was going to get this Jewish boy to embrace his true and promised Messiah. And, and by the fact that I'm standing here tonight glorifying Jesus as my Lord, Savior, Redeemer, Messiah, God, King, and everything. Guess whose plan won? And I want to share with you how she did it. And this is one of the reasons why I want you to take notes. Um, we, uh, very, very early on in our marriage, and, and by the way, my wife Sandy and I, uh, this uh, coming January, we'll be celebrating 27 years of marriage, our 27th wedding anniversary. Thank you. Which, which, by the way, do we have a time limit tonight? I mean, as long as we get out of here before 2 in the morning, we're okay, right, Pastor? I, I, I got you. Uh, it, 27 uh, years of a wedding anniversary, and, and it reminds me of a story that was actually told to me uh, the other night in Phoenix, Arizona, where I was uh, uh, attending a, a pastors and leadership summit, and we had a great guy joining us who some of you have heard, and he's a dear friend by the name of Jack Hayford. And uh, Jack Hayford shared a story on, on, on anniversaries and weddings, and I, I've got to share it with you. It goes something like this. Um, it, it's a story about a couple that had been married for many years, and they were now in their 90s. And somebody had interviewed the couple saying, well, how did you spend each one of your wedding anniversaries? And they said, well, for our 10-year anniversary, we went to the Ocean View restaurant so that after our meal, we could go and surf on the waters. They said, for our 25-year anniversary, we went to the Ocean View restaurant because we liked the wine list. For our 50-year anniversary, we went to the Ocean View restaurant because the seats had nice, soft cushions to support our backs. And they said, for our 60-year anniversary, we went to the Ocean View restaurant because we'd never been there before. So... (laughs) So my wife and I met and married in just three months. And she picked a very opportune time. God actually used her to bring me to Jesus. And I want to share with you how she did it because it's not just a good story. It's a biblical story and it's part of your chosen calling. While many people understand that the Jews are referred to as the chosen people, guess what? So are you. We're chosen for different tasks. And God has chosen you as the church to bring the good news to Jewish people and reintroduce them to the Jesus that they rejected. And we'll talk about that as we get into the teaching tonight. But at one point early on in our marriage, my wife opened up the Bible to the Old Testament, because that's the part of the Bible that Jewish people recognize. And she said, I want to read some verses to you about the Messiah that it speaks of in the Old Testament. And I learned something very important that night, and I'll share it with you. I learned that, guess what, folks? Jesus does not begin in Matthew. Okay, this side got it. This side is not sure if what I just said is doctrinally right. Jesus does not begin in Matthew. He's from the first chapter of the first word of the first book, Genesis, all the way to the last chapter, the last word of the last book, Revelation. And my wife is opening up the Bible and she says, I want to read Bible verses to you that speak about your Messiah. And admittedly, I really did not want to hear what she had to say, but I felt like I was being held captive. I had nowhere to go because we were on our honeymoon. And she opens up the Bible, and uh, the first place she opened it up to, and here's where your note-taking can start, was Psalms 22. Because Psalms 22 begins by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my hearing? 
And as you go further down into the psalm, listen to these wonderful verses. My tongue cleaves to my mouth. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. All my bones are out of joint. Evil ones have surrounded me and they have pierced my hands and my feet. This is in the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. Now, what does that sound like to you? How many of you know that's what it sounded like to me? How many of you didn't know I didn't like what my own Jewish Bible was telling me? And I turned to my wife and I said, what in the world is a crucifixion doing in my Jewish Bible? She said, don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. I said, well, what else do you have? And she gave me Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And so all of a sudden, I'm faced with a confrontation with a God who I can't dispute. He's telling me that my Messiah would be crucified. He's telling me my Messiah would be born of a virgin. I said, what else do you have? She gave me Micah chapter 5 verse 2, which specifically says that the promised Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So I'm starting to connect the dots and I don't like where the dots are going because I don't want it to be Jesus. I said, what else do you have? She said, Isaiah chapter 53. I said, what verse? She said all of them. But I like verse 5. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace or the guilt of our sins. Guess what? It's not on our shoulders. It's not our burden. It's his. And by his wounds or by his stripes, we are healed. And my friends, the year was 1988. The month was April. And I connected the dots, realized that Christ was, is, and always will be the only Messiah. And uh, on that day, gave my life and my heart to the Lord in a little Southern Baptist church in Fort Pierce, Florida. And here I am tonight back in Charlevoix, Michigan. And God is so very good. Amen. And you can give the Lord a hand. Praise God. Um. Since that time, as, as, as we were living in Florida, I was also working in, uh, in radio broadcasting, by the way. I was a news and sportscaster and uh, worked in television in New York for a while. And then about 16 years ago, my wife Sandy and I moved from the Northeast to Phoenix, Arizona. And in the year 2000, uh, founded a messianic congregation. This is another way of saying a Jewish church. This is a place where Jews and Christians come together to worship Christ, to worship Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, in a Jewish culture and context. And we're going into our 15th year. So that's a roundabout testimony for you tonight. Getting into the message tonight, the question, why bless Israel? I think not only is an important question, but it is a very timely question. Timely because, as many of you know, the months, this 50-day period from the beginning of July, if you will, to just about the end of, uh, end of August, was a time of great crisis once again in the land of Israel. And when this happened and Israel was getting bombs and rockets coming in from Hamas every other day, if you wanted to find controversy, all you had to do was look at a story about what was going on in the Middle East and you would see a variety of opinions, some from those calling themselves Christians. There would be those who would be saying, well, you know, this is all Israel's fault. Israel needs to stop occupying Palestinian territory and give that land back to those peace-loving Palestinians. 
And then, of course, you had the other side of the coin where people were saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, doesn't God have the final say? And, and in places like Numbers chapter 34 and in Genesis 15:18, God specifically designated a plot of land that he said belongs to the Jews. And that land today is occupied by the Palestinians. So who's the real occupier? There's a lot of division. There's a lot of controversy regarding Israel itself, even among believers. And so this is not only a biblical subject, but it's a very timely subject to ask the question tonight. Why do we as Christians, as the church, do we have a biblical responsibility to actually be a blessing to the land of Israel and the Jewish people? And on the surface, it really doesn't seem that we should. Because on the surface, let's think about it. We have this land that's thousands and thousands of miles away. The people are different from us. They speak a different language from us. We have no association with them whatsoever. And let's face it, the vast majority of those people don't even believe in Jesus. So why should this subject even come up? And the short answer to that, my friends, is Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. And that's where God basically says... And I'll kind of give you a paraphrase, but it is an exact translation. Listen, I know what you're thinking. But what God says is, what you're thinking may not necessarily be what I'm thinking. Don't think that just because you're thinking something that it's actually biblical. My thoughts are not necessarily going to be your thoughts. My ways are not necessarily going to be your ways. And while you might see no relevance at all of being a blessing to the land of Israel and the Jewish people, God says, guess what? I do. And there are many, many places in Scripture where God tells us that as believers who follow him, we have a biblical mandate and a responsibility to be a blessing to the land of Israel. So here's how it's going to work. Tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you nine different reasons why we as believers should bless Israel. And then after that time, we'll have some time for a question and answer. We'll make it a great night. I'll send you off tonight also with a Hebrew blessing that I'll sing over you. And uh, we'll have a good time. And of course, we'll come back tomorrow night and Wednesday night. So let's go on now to our first slide. Why bless Israel? Well, reason number one is... Let's see, is this working? Which direction, by the way, do I need to point it? First, I want to make sure it's on. Okay, there you go. All right, it's, is it on? And, whoops. You know what? It doesn't want to go. So, uh, Larry, why don't you do it manually back there? Okay. Now, that worked. No, no. <laughs> I'm not sure. All right, well, we're back on there. And there we go. All right. Why should we as believers bless Israel? And I told you this would be a good note-taking teaching for us tonight. The short answer, my friends, is because God said so. And how many of you know that answer in and of itself should be enough? You know, if God gives us a command in Scripture, but he doesn't necessarily give us a reason, that's no reason for us to disobey it. Well, God told me to do it, but he didn't tell me why. How many of you know God doesn't have to tell you why? All God has to do is say, observe this commandment. And God does that here. One of the reasons that we are to be a blessing to Israel is because God says that he will bless those who bless Israel. 
Now, it's found obviously in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. And some detractors would say, well, you know, Jack, why even put that up there on the screen? I mean, after all, that was the Old Testament. And, you know, we're in the times of the New Testament now. And the Old Testament's been done away with. So we don't need to follow this stuff anymore. I believe the scriptures say otherwise. I believe in the book of Hebrews, God says, my word is the same yesterday, today, and always. And, and brothers and sisters, last I checked, how many of you know the Bible has no expiration date on it? Amen. So if God said something thousands of years ago and he didn't negate it, it still applies today. Now let me set up these verses for you because God and Abraham are, are, are having a conversation here and this is part of a covenant relationship. Now let me read the verses for you and I might stop along the way. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, Ur of the Chaldees, and leave your people. And leave your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. That means, Abraham, I'm going to give you kids. And, and those children will have children, etc., etc., etc. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you yourself will be a blessing. Now here it is. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, blessed through Israel. Now, we'll explain how all peoples on earth are blessed through Israel in just a few minutes. But we see that God says, those who bless Israel, I will bless. Those who curse Israel, I will curse. And even if you look throughout history, you know, I did a study on this because how many of you know that, that, look, we have Hamas and Hezbollah today in our present day, but Israel has never had a shortage of enemies, folks. Uh, in fact, even before, long before Israel became a state, long before the Israelites even inhabited the promised land, when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, we weren't even a land and we had enemies then. I can even rattle off some names. Let's see, we had the Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Amorites, Jebusites, Agagites, Termites. Israel has never had a shortage of enemies who have been bent on her destruction. And if you look throughout history, every country, dynasty, nation, or empire that has come against Israel, God has cursed you know, in the year 19, uh, not 19, but 1492, when Columbus set sail on his journey, uh, he wasn't the, the only thing that left Western Europe. Many Jews left Western Europe because Spain and Portugal kicked them out at that time. And prior to that time, Spain and Portugal had very, very healthy and vibrant economies. But after they kicked out the Jewish people, their economies went into the tank. In the late 1800s, Russia was starting to develop as a world power. Until Russia began oppressing Jewish people in the late 1800s, many of them fled and came here. And Russia lost a lot of her power. And you can go through the list, Germany, etc., etc., and so forth. But yet, those nations and people who have always been a blessing to Israel, God has always blessed. I have to believe that one of the reasons this nation is still a blessed nation is because, by and large, we have people in this nation who continue to pray for Israel and desire to bless her, my friends. So God says he will bless those who bless Israel and curse those 
who curse Israel. That's the first reason of why we should bless. Now understand, we don't bless Israel because we're saying, wow, I could get something out of this. Sounds good. We don't bless Israel to get something back. Just like when we come to church and we give our tithes and offerings, we don't give to get. We give and we obey simply because we love the Lord our God even if he promises nothing in return. Because let me tell you something. When I look at these verses and God says, I will bless those who bless Israel, I once looked at these verses and I said, Lord, Father, you have already blessed us with the greatest blessing possible. You sent yourself manifested in the form of your son to die for me on the cross, that when I acknowledge him, I have the promise of spending eternity with you. What greater blessing do I need? Are you with me in that? So let's now go to the second reason. Why should we, as Christians, as the church, feel an obligation to bless Israel? Well, reason number two, Christians owe a debt of gratitude to the Jews. Now, don't take that the wrong way. I'm speaking in biblical terms here. In the scripture verse I'm going to cite is John chapter 4, verse 22, where Jesus said, and I believe he said this to the Samaritan woman, he said, you worship what you do not know. But we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Which begs the obvious question. Now think about this. If the vast majority of Jewish people aren't saved, how can salvation be from the Jews? It's easy. Because, my friends, the roots of Christianity are Jewish. We have Christianity, we have the, the if you will, the, the, the beautiful uh, uh, leaves of a tree of Christianity because the roots were Jewish. For example, the Jews gave to the world the following, the Holy Scriptures. The Bible that you have in your hands was written primarily by Jewish authors in a Jewish land, in a Jewish language, a Jewish culture, in a Jewish context. The prophets, take a look at their names, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, all the prophets were Jewish. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our Christianity has a Jewish root. How about this, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus of Nazareth. And I remember the first time I saw this, I was a very young believer. In fact, I don't even know if I was saved, but it shocked me because prior to my wife sharing the good news with me that brought me into relationship with Christ, I had had experiences with other groups. Uh, I remember on a college campus, Jews for Jesus came on a college campus and I was walking past one of their booths or displays and, uh, and they said, are you Jewish? And, and of course, I know that they asked me because there's no way that this face does not look Jewish. And uh, I said, yes. They said, well, we want to talk to you about Jesus because he is your true Messiah and Jesus was Jewish. Now, now you've got to understand, I immediately rejected that uh, if for no other reason than the fact that every uh, uh, illustration or painting or anything that I had ever seen of Jesus had this Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes and so I'm thinking, okay, that, that doesn't look like somebody who's Jewish, Scandinavian, maybe. But, uh, and of course, every time I would watch a movie about Jesus, he would have a British accent in every full-length feature film. This is not how Jewish people talk. I'm thinking, okay, if Jesus is Jewish, then, then he would probably sound something like this. 
Oi, you Pharisees, I can't believe you did this again. What's wrong with you? That's Jewish. So I was never presented with a Jewish Jesus. But I realized indeed that he very much was. The 12 disciples, all Jewish. The apostles, all Jewish. Now understand, I'm not trying to pat our people on the back. I'm just letting you know where our roots come from. Why else are we called as believers to bless Israel, to be a blessing to Israel and to the Jewish people? Oh, this is a big one. Because Israel produced the human lineage of Christ. Now, to some of us it may be obvious, but to others perhaps not, because if you are someone who, like many, has made a commitment to read through the entire Bible. And I know a number of people who read through the entire Bible each year. Is there, each year. Is there anyone in here who does that? You say, there you go, quite a few of you, where you say, I'm going to read through the entire Bible in one year. And, and you know, it starts off great, and you read all of these exciting stories, and God creates the heavens and the earth in six days and seven days. And then as you go on, then you get to those parts of the Bible where everybody begat someone else. And it goes on forever. And this one begat this one, and this one begat this one, and this one begat this one. And you say to yourself, oh my gosh, you know, when I made the commitment to read the Bible through the year, I forgot about the begat parts. And so sometimes we tend to disregard them. But take a look here. Out of Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, which traces the lineage of Christ, we are reminded that in verse 16 it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. My friends, our Savior comes from a Jewish line. He celebrated and observed the Jewish feasts and festivals. He dressed like a Jew. We serve a Jewish Savior. Why else should we as the church feel an obligation to bless Israel and to be a blessing to the Jewish people? Well, here's reason number four. And which way am I pointing this? Uh, Oh, that one. Okay. Because the Bible says that we are to comfort Israel and her people. It's from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Let me give you an example of what does not comfort Israel. Here's an example of what does not comfort Israel. Um, Let's see. Uh, It's a nice, bright, sunny day. And uh, Israelis are going about their business. And a rocket sent by Hamas in the Gaza Strip falls in the Israeli city of Ashkelon, uh, killing three civilians. Israel responds with a rocket aimed at Gaza that destroys a building and and, uh, uh, absolutely injures no one. And the media then goes and basically says, Israel launched an aggressive attack against Hamas today. That's not the kind of stuff that comforts Israel. But how many of you know we hear that all the time? God says we are to comfort Israel and her people. Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly. Some Bible versions say speak tender words to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We are to be a comfort 
to the nation of Israel. And that also means, my friends, that when we hear and have other people who we associate with, particularly during times when she's in conflict, who blame Israel from the conflict, guess what this tells us to do? It tells us to speak up. Not always an easy thing to do, but a biblical thing to do. Why else should we as the church bless Israel? Well, how about reason number five? Because God himself calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's in Psalm 122, verse 6. And uh, you know how, and I know many of you have experienced this, because I often hear it. The idea that you could read a Bible verse over and over and over again, and each time you do, you get something new out of it. I'm going to give you something so that you get something new out of Psalm 122.6 tonight. I'm going to help you peel the onion. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem, on the surface, the literal meaning means pray that, that, that the people would be able to live in peace. That there would be no more rockets, no more bombs from Hezbollah, from Hamas, no more uh, terrorist fighters trying to enter in through tunnels. That's the literal meaning and that's an accurate meaning. But there's also another meaning. When the verse says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it means pray for the return of Christ, the Prince of Peace. Because he is the only one who will be able to bring true peace. And and if you're not sure about that, just take a look at the long line in history of folks, well-meaning and well-intentioned folks, whether it's uh, John Kerry from Condoleezza Rice and others, who went to Israel to try and broker peace talks between Israelis and the Palestinians. They've never been able to do it. But it hasn't been the fault of the Kerrys and the Condoleezza Rice. It's been the fault of where you have two parties basically sitting down at the table. And one of the parties says, okay, here's how we can negotiate. Um, You guys die and then everything will be terrific. How many of you know it's really tough to negotiate when those are the parameters? Only Jesus will be able to bring peace. In fact, there are beautiful verses in Isaiah 2, and I didn't put them on the screen, where it it talks about a fact that in the very end of days, nation will not war against nation anymore. Swords will be beaten into plowshares. You know why? Because it says that will be the time when the Messiah, Jesus, returns. So pray for the peace in Jerusalem. Why else should we be a blessing to Israel and the Jewish people? Here's reason number six. Because God promises to destroy the nations that come against her. It's in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. In those days and at that time, and by the way, that biblical language where God says in those days and at that time, that's end times language, my friends. That's last day's language. Whenever you hear in the day of or on the great day of or on the day of the Lord or in those days and at that time, this is last day's language. This is stuff now. God says, now when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations, bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. 
God specifically says here that he is going to bring judgment against any nation that tries to divide the land of Israel and makes efforts to do so. How many of you know the administration of our nation has been guilty of that? If you've been watching the news in particular over the past couple of years, we have asked Israel to do a number of things. Our administration has said, Israel, get out of the Golan Heights. Give it back to Syria. By the way, biblically, it belongs to Israel. Uh, Israel, get out of Malay Adumim, a community in East Jerusalem, and give it to the Palestinians so that they can have their own state. By the way, the Bible says that belongs to Israel. We have to be on the side of not pressuring Israel to give away land. And that may mean a letter or a phone call to our congressmen or to our senators, letting them know that we stand with what God says in the Bible. And we will not stand with anyone's efforts to see Israel divided. I'll tell you a little story um, about the judgment that God can bring when, when we push Israel to uh, divide up her land. There's a, a wonderful gentleman. He's a dear friend. In fact, uh, Pat, I believe you said that uh, while we were talking earlier, while you and Carol and I were talking earlier, you mentioned the city of Casa Grande, Arizona, that I guess you, you were down there. Or Carol, you may have family there or some type of association. There's a gentleman I know from Casa Grande, Arizona. You may know his name, Bill Koenig. And Bill Koenig is a White House correspondent. He's also a believer. Guys, we got a believer in the White House. He's a correspondent right now, but we're working on it. And uh, a couple of years ago, Bill wrote a book called Eye to Eye. And Bill showed in that book how every time the United States pressures Israel to give away land, some type of natural disaster hits this country within 48 hours. Now, I don't have the book tonight, but I have the DVD with him on it, and I'll tell you about that later. And when Bill was first writing this book, I said, you know, Bill, this sounds a little bit far-fetched. He said, no, you can check it out. And in fact, he's right, because I, I remember very, very clearly and succinctly the date of January 9th of 2008. And let me refresh your memory of what happened on that day. Then President George W. Bush went to Israel to speak to then-Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Omert. And he said, Mr. Prime Minister, I want a two-state solution once and for all before I leave office. There's only one way it's got to happen. What I need you to do, Mr. Prime Minister, is I need you to draw a line right down the middle of the city of Jerusalem. And West Jerusalem can be the capital for you Jewish people, but East Jerusalem has to go into Palestinian possession so that they can have their capital. So in essence, our president, well-intentioned, said, this is the only way. We need to divide up the city of Jerusalem. Now, how many of you know, according to Joel chapter 3, that was not a wise decision to make? And what happened was, on that same day, January the 9th of 2008, as the president was saying, divide up Jerusalem, on that same day, a winter day, a tornado, rare in winter, hit the state of Arkansas and divided in half a town in Arkansas. Would you like to know the name of that town in Arkansas? It's called Jerusalem, Arkansas. No kidding. And God's not kidding either. Why bless Israel? Reason number seven. Because the gospel is to the Jew first. And I'm so blessed that my friend over here knows this is a memory verse. Romans 1.16, Paul said, No, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And by the way, neither should any of us be. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to all, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, why did Paul at that time say that the Jewish people should get the gospel first? There's two reasons for that. Number one, how many of you know that if you're a doctor and there's two patients in front of you and one of them has a hangnail and the other is having a heart attack, you treat the worst case first. And at that time, the Jews were the worst case And so you go after the worst case first. But the other reason is because something very prophetic happens in particular when Jewish people come to Christ. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes as we go on. Next reason, why bless Israel? Because we are to provoke the Jews to enviousness of what we as Christians have. This is in Romans 11.11. And let me set this up for you because um, I want to give you some information on the culture and context of this time so that you're not just reading a verse out of the middle of nowhere with nothing to support it. Let me tell you what's going on in Romans 11. In Romans 11, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a really weird problem. I am amazed that Paul was not neurotic. Because Paul was constantly dealing with Jews and Gentiles who were at odds with each other. And in Romans 11, Paul is dealing with a situation where the Gentiles at that time were starting to develop this idea that even though a long, long time earlier, God had made a special covenant agreement with the Jews and given them special covenant blessings, there were many Gentiles in Paul's day who said, well, you know... We know that, that God extended covenant blessings to the Jewish people. But, uh, you know, after those Jewish people committed so much sin when they were wandering in the wilderness, and then they killed Christ, wrong, by the way, that that's what they believed. They said, we believe that what God probably did at that time is he said, you know, I gave you Jewish people those covenant blessings, but, man, I didn't know you were going to do all that stuff. I mean, who am I, God? But, but anyway... They believed that what God at that point did was God basically said, okay, you Jews have sinned entirely too much, so what I've got to do is I've got to now remove my covenant blessings from you guys and transfer those blessings to the church, to where the church becomes the new Israel. There is a theological term for that. It's called replacement theology, and it is a lie from the pit. And one of the reasons that it's a lie from the pit is because it espouses the idea that because people are in grievous sin, God will take away their blessings and transfer it to another group of people. But here's the deal, folks. I believe it's Romans 3.23, where God says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if that's the case, think about this. Why would God remove his covenant blessings from one group of sinful people if all he's going to do with those blessings is to simply give them to another group of equally sinful people? Doesn't make any sense. So here in Romans eleven eleven, Paul really asks the question, and he says, look, I say then, they, those Jewish people, didn't stumble, didn't sin so much so as to fall, did they? They didn't sin so much where they would be rejected by God. He said, no, may it never be. He said, don't you understand that because of their sin, because they didn't want to accept Jesus, the gospel went to you guys. And when you guys accepted the gospel, guess now what your responsibility is. Give it back to the Jewish people so that they can have another shot at accepting their Messiah. That's why we need to be a blessing. So that they can receive Christ 
as their Savior. And when they do, there are a couple of really interesting things that come into play in end-time Bible prophecy as God's plan of salvation. And here's the last reason. And boy, I will cover this with you because these are some of the most complicated verses in Scripture. But I'm going to make them nice and easy for you. Why bless Israel? Bless Israel so that the church can come into its fullness. You bet I'll explain all this. Romans 11, verses 25 and 26. Let me read the verses to you first, then I'll unpack them and we'll take this apart. Paul says, and it's not the greatest translation, by the way, but I've put it in there intentionally for you. I I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, before I comment on these verses, uh, let me just make a couple of comments before it. First of all, this may come as a shock to you, but I hope you believe here in northern Michigan that the original language of the Bible was not the King James. Please say you're on board with me on that. Praise the Lord. We oftentimes have to go back to the original language to see what the Bible is actually saying. Because the way you read these verses, it says, well, let's see, Israel has experienced the hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles comes in, and then all Israel will be saved. That's kind of weird, and that's not exactly the right wording, because it espouses a view that God says, here's what's going to happen. It's as if God is up there in heaven with a counter, and he's counting the number of Gentiles who come into heaven, And he's not going to let any Jewish people come into heaven until we get all the Gentiles coming into heaven first. And okay, let's get all the Gentiles in. Okay, any more Gentiles? Okay, up. Okay, a couple more. Okay, no more Gentiles left? We're good? All right. Sheldon, Irving, Murray, Seymour, come on in. Now it's your turn. It doesn't work like that. And by the way, the terminology full number there is really not the right terminology. It's the terminology fullness. So let me explain what Paul says happens in these verses. There are three things. Paul says, here's what's got to happen. The church has to come into its fullness. Then all Israel shall be saved. Then the Redeemer comes from Zion. Christ returns. So let's take this in parts. How does the church come into its fullness? What does that mean? It means, my friends, when the church as a whole, not just here in Charlevoix, not just where I was this morning in Ionia or yesterday in Rochester or with so many churches, but when the church around the world understands the urgency and the importance of sharing the gospel with all nations, including the Jewish nation, then the church will come into the fullness of doing what it is supposed to, having the light of the Holy Spirit within to share the gospel with the Jewish people like God commanded. And guess what? When you begin sharing the gospel with those Jewish people, they're going to get saved in droves. I know I'm a rehabilitated Jew. In fact... As churches have been coming into this understanding of needing to share the gospel with the Jews, it's not just a coincidence, my friends, that in the past 50 years, more Jewish people in the past 50 years have come to Christ than at any other time since Acts chapter 2. 
Amen. You can clap for that. It's a beautiful thing. And that's because the church now is beginning to come into the fullness of understanding, hey man, we need to preach the gospel to those Jewish people. When that happens, it says all Israel will be saved. Does that mean every last Jew? I wish. But it means a tidal wave of of Jewish people. And then what happens next? Then the deliverer will come from Zion. So church, this is where we come in. Why should we bless Israel? Because the greatest blessing you can give anybody is the gospel. And when you give it to Israel, the Jewish people get saved. And when the Jewish people get saved, you have this prophetic signpost because it ushers in and brings about the return of Christ. And and, and I love this part. And I oftentimes have to explain this to some folks because I remember about six, I think it was about six months ago in my congregation, after a service, we had a time of prayer and I had a wonderful woman coming over to me and, and she said, Rabbi, I need you to pray for me. And she said, I'm, go- I'm going through so much. She said, and, and I just have to say, come, Lord Jesus, come now. And I said, no, no, wait, don't say that yet. The church still has to come into its fullness first, and a lot more Jewish people have to get saved. All in God's time. God's end time plan of salvation is a plan that affects each and every one of us. And I'm so thankful that the Lord has given all of us a role and a part to play in it because he didn't have to do that. Let me close the message part of this in prayer. And then what I'll do is, Pastor, I'll give you the opportunity to, to uh, come on up. I know you have a, a few words to, uh, to say. In, fa- in fact, before you do that, because I know you want to... Uh, uh, well, let me close in prayer first, and I'll tell you where we're going next. Uh, as we say in Hebrew, avinu malkeinu, and Jesus himself said those same words. Our Father, our King, we delight in your presence tonight. And Lord, I'm so thankful that despite this early first snowfall, that, uh, Lord, many have come out tonight. I thank you, Lord God, for their presence and attendance. And Father, we thank you for what you've imparted to us tonight and also what you're going to relate to us tomorrow night and, uh, uh, and Tuesday night as well. We love you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us and enriching us with your word. In Christ Jesus' name, and everyone agreed and said, amen. A couple of other things to, to do before you, uh, before you head on out. Uh, Larry, do we have that DVD ready? And, and before you play it, uh, just, just let me know. Um, and let's see. We're searching. And let me see if we can get it. Oh, okay, great. Before you play this, I know that in a couple of minutes, um, uh, Pastor Mike said that he wanted to come up and and thank you, by the way, to receive a love offering for Jewish Voice Ministries International. And I said, Mike, do me a favor. I said, let me do this. Let me play this DVD first because I have speakers who come to my church too. And what I do is I have a policy at my church that before we give them anything, we want to know what they're doing with the money. How about that? And so I want to introduce you to Jewish Voice Ministries International so that you know a little bit more about the ministry that you would consider giving into. And by the way, there are a number of quote-unquote Jewish ministries out there. Some even entitle themselves Jewish and Christian ministries. But not all of them are focused on sharing Christ with the Jewish people. We have been, we are, and we always will be. So... 
watch this DVD first, then brother, I'll have you come on up so that the folks are informed. And then after that, we'll spend some time for Q&A and tell you about the materials and send you off with a blessing tonight. Sound like a plan? Okay, Larry, go ahead. Hi, I'm Jonathan Bernas, President and CEO of Jewish Voice Ministries International. Thank you so much for taking the time to hear a little bit about what God is doing in this ministry, the ministry of Jewish Voice. You know, Jewish Voice will soon be celebrating 50 years of ministry since 1967. Just months before Jerusalem came back into the hands of the Jewish people, Jewish Voice has been proclaiming the good news to Jewish people around the world. It's amazing when I think of all the miracles that God has done in and through Jewish Voice through the years. And we're really looking forward to what he has in store for us in the days ahead. We are living in very exciting times, watching God miraculously open the eyes of the Jewish people to their Messiah, Jesus, which is fulfilling a prophecy written by the Apostle Paul in Romans 11, verses 25 and 26. He wrote, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited that Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. This passage clearly tells us that the Lord has ordained a set time in history for the blindness to come off of the eyes of the Jewish people, foreseeing the day when all Israel will be saved. I believe that we're living in those days. Now is the time that God has ordained for the restoration of the Jewish people in preparation for the return of the Messiah. Jewish Voice is so grateful to be included in God's plan to proclaim the good news as the Apostle Paul described in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. This scripture is the mission of Jewish Voice Ministries International, to proclaim the gospel to the Jew first and also to the nations throughout the world. We do this in a number of different ways. First, by providing medical and dental outreach clinics to impoverished Jewish communities scattered throughout Africa and India. This care is provided completely free of charge, which enables us to share our faith with these precious people. To date, tens of thousands have been treated and responded to our message through the distribution of humanitarian aid and water purification systems. We also hold international festivals of Jewish music and dance throughout Eastern Europe, South and Central America. And then finally, our television program, Jewish Voice with Jonathan Bernus, is seen around the globe. And we have a bi-monthly magazine, Jewish Voice Today. Jesus commissioned his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. In response to this great commission, we are teaching and training those who come to faith through our outreaches by planting new messianic congregations and strengthening existing ones. We also partner with other ministries to establish and operate messianic Jewish Bible institutes that equip leadership for Jewish ministry. Well, I hope that you caught a glimpse of all that God is doing through Jewish Voice, and I pray that he calls you to partner with us. I'd really like to send you a free book as our gift from Jewish Voice that explains more about this exciting chapter in human history as we witness prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. You can go to www.jewishvoice.org forward slash info. That's www.jewishvoice.org 
forward slash info for your free gift. I really appreciate you spending some time with me and please allow me to pray this prayer of blessing over you. It's called the Aaronic Benediction and it's been prayed over the people of Israel for thousands of years. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you peace. Shalom. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. Shalom and God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, <clears throat> but Pastor, before you come up, when folks, when you came in, many of you received this card from Jewish Voice Ministries. If you didn't get one, trust me, you will want them because aside from that free gift, I want you to get some other free materials. So is there anybody who did not get one of these cards? Again, just raise your hand. We've got quite a few. I tell you what, uh, Pastor, maybe if you could take care of that uh, for us, brother. And I believe uh, we've got some folks over here. Pat, would you mind helping me out uh, as well? Thank you for that. I want to make sure you get these cards from Jewish Voice Ministries because, as I said, I want you to get a free gift. While we're here right now, if you would take a minute and fill out the front of the card with your name, address, and phone, let me tell you why we're doing that. Aside from that gift of that book, I want you to receive our bi-monthly magazine that Rabbi Jonathan Burnus talked about. And here's why. We tonight talked about how we can bless Israel. The two greatest ways of blessing Israel, give the people the gospel of Christ, because that's the greatest blessing, and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But a lot of people don't know how to do that, specifically with Jewish people. That's why I'm giving you the card. After you fill out the card, give the big card back to me. Keep the little one for you. I will then make sure that you're on our mailing list and we will get the magazine to you. Now, listen, don't worry. As I said, the magazine is free. No, we won't stuff your mailbox every week. And no, we don't sell your name to telemarketers. At least not anymore. But anyway, I just wanted to make sure if you were still awake and listening. So take the opportunity to fill out that card. What we'll do uh, now, Pastor, I'll have you come up now that the folks are well informed. After we receive this offering, go to take a few minutes of question and answer. I'll tell you about some of the materials out on the table that you can pick up for purchase before you go. And then we'll send you out with that blessing that Jonathan did in the original Hebrew, and I'll sing it over you. So, brother. Amen. Thank you, um, you Rabbi. Bet. That was awesome. Praise and, the uh, Lord. You know, I... Um, as Thank you, Pat, uh, Rick and Lawrence, if you would, would you go get an offering bag and just so we prepare for the offering, we'll take it here in a minute. But, you know, one of the reasons that we were inclined to ask Rabbi Jack to come up here um, was Michael and I were talking a few weeks ago, a few months ago actually about this. And, and, you know, when we really look around northern Michigan, really the extent that we get up here of anything that would be really cataclysmic is what we're experiencing out there right now, a little bit of snow little bit of ice. But you know, when we look around the world and we see all of the things happening with the weird weather, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the, the volcanoes, the um, economic situations, the beheadings, you know, we're in northern Michigan, we're pretty isolated from that. We're, we're pretty, um, maybe in a false sense of security. Maybe we really don't see the, the seriousness of the end times that are happening around us. So we were just thinking, you know, how do we get this message out? So really, the prayer over the next couple days, beginning tonight, 
is that we, northern Michigan, would start to see what's happening in the greater world beginning in Israel and that we would get our eyes opened and that we would wake up a little bit to what's going on around us, that maybe we would understand that um, it's not always going to be peace and tranquility up here, that when things start to really go bad, when the U.S. economy falls down, which it's going to do at some point in time, we all think we all know that, when it does... What's going to happen to Charlevoix? What's going to happen to northern Michigan? I think we're going to get infiltrated with a bunch of other things that we need to be prepared for. So I'm praying that the reason for this night and these nights is not just to hear a good message and a good speaker because he did an awesome job, didn't he? Isn't he an awesome speaker? Man, I wish I could teach and preach like you, Rabbi Jack. You're awesome. Good job. God bless you. But more Thank importantly you. is that we get the message of the urgency of the hour that we understand that Jesus Christ is at the door waiting for the fullness of the world to happen so that he can come back. Amen. Amen? I believe that that's that happening, and I, I believe that that's the call that we need to be making in our churches and in our community. So I'm praying that this type of a message will propagate into the communities around us. That's our prayer. Amen? Gentlemen, if you'd come forward as uh, we'll, we'll – uh, if you would, it, whatever you're giving here is going to bless uh, – Jewish Voice Ministries International. So we thank you for your faithfulness. You don't have to give, but certainly we appreciate Hi, that. And um, yes, Larry turned his mic off. Yes, I'm actually at a church in northern <laughs> Michigan right now. Pastor Jack. There you go. Yeah, I was, <laughs> hopefully he wasn't going to the bathroom. No, he was talking on his phone. But anyway, let's pray about the offering, and then we're going to ask him to come back, and we're going to have a Q&A time. Father, we just thank you for this. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way that you are opening our eyes and our ears. And thank you for the message that we're hearing tonight and for the next couple nights. God, we just really want to be attuned to what you're trying to do, what you're trying to wake us up to do. Help us, Father, to be alert. Help us, Jesus, to be anticipating the greatness of the things that are to come and how we can be involved and how with the things that we can do up here in northern Michigan, how we can anticipate and get excited about what you're doing. And so, Father, we thank you for that, and we just are asking that you would bless the gifts and the offering and the gift and the givers, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, when, he, when we're done, uh, Pastor uh, Rabbi, Pastor, see, let me tell you, he's talking on the phone. He is a pastor of a Messianic congregation in, in Arizona. And what's interesting is they have their services on Friday night. So they have their Friday night services, and then that gives him opportunity to get on a plane Saturday morning fly around the country, do what, do what he does. And sometimes he can't make it back for Friday, but other, most times he's back by 3 o'clock so he can do a service. So it's really an opportunity for us to have a truly a messianic pastor, rabbi, uh, speak to us. So, Pastor Jack, if you would just come back and uh, let's open it up to any questions you have. If you have a question, just raise your hand. I want to make sure I bring the mic to you so everybody can hear the question. Praise the Lord. And then he'll, uh, he'll give us the answer. So yeah, let's I, yeah. open or, the floor. Or, or I'll make one up. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, but, uh, I, I, you know, we'll take a couple of minutes, maybe five, ten minutes for some, uh, some questions tonight. This is your time. I, got I see that hand. Can you make, uh, just really quickly, can you make a connection in your reason number one between um, Abraham and Israel? I, I don't question that or question what you're saying at all. Mm -hmm. um, but can you just really quickly make the connection between what that passage is saying directly to Abraham 
in blessing Israel. Of course, the passage in Genesis 12, 3 is where God told Abraham, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Because, of course, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. From Jacob, my friends, came the 12 tribes who later became to be known as the nation of Israel collectively. And so when God says, I will bless those who bless Israel, or I will uh, bless you, bless those who bless Abraham, it's really one and the same. Thanks for the question. Appreciate it. Anyone else? We got some hands over here. You're getting your exercise walking tonight, aren't you? I had the same question about connecting the blessings from Abraham to Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the connections in Chronicles, or in chapter 27, verse 29, the same blessings given to Jacob. And then in Numbers 24, verse 9, the same um, prophecy is given to Israel. So it's a blessing that carried through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. Thank you for reaffirming that. Brother, I think you had a question back there. <clears throat> so, so what does it mean in Romans when it says, and all Israel, clearly all Jews aren't going to be saved. Sure. What is the meaning of that? Sure. All Israel means the following. Uh, for those of you who are theology students, Paul was not a, a teacher of systematic theology through the ages. On the one hand, Paul was speaking within his own time frame. The only uh, world that Paul knew was a land that, that basically uh, uh, ended with the, the Greek and Roman Empire. And his desire, his thought, was that as he spread the gospel into those areas, eventually the gospel would reach the Jewish people, and the Jewish people would come to salvation. So uh, first and foremost, that when, when he says all Israel shall be saved, he's honestly saying that he believed that the gospel would go to all Israel as he knew it. However, we understand the greater import of this prophecy based upon what we're seeing now. How Jewish people now more than ever before are coming like tidal waves to Jesus. I'll give you an example. Uh, 10, 20 years ago, if you went to Israel, you would find maybe two or three messianic congregations there. You go to Israel today, we believe that there are at least one to 200 messianic congregations. So we're seeing Jewish people from all over the world embracing Jesus like never before. And as, of course, I said and Jonathan reaffirmed on uh, the DVD that you just watched, it is a fulfillment of end-time Bible prophecy. So even though Paul didn't mean it in a way of systematic theology, God himself sure did. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Yes. (laughs) No, I forgot what number it relates to, but the term fullness of Gentiles, Mm -hmm. um, do you understand that having any connection with Uh, Christians becoming more aware of and more obedient to the commandments of God? Um, uh, Let me put it to you this way. Uh, Obviously, I think it's important for all of us to to be aware and to be obedient to the commandments of God. Um, and, And I think part and parcel of that is to follow Jesus' command in Matthew 28, 19, where he says to go out and make disciples of all nations, ensuring that we preach the gospel to the Jewish people is part and parcel of that command. So in that regard, I'd say yes. Okay? We've got a question up here. And then I think after that, we'll take one more question because I I don't want to hold you up too much tonight. 
this is more personal. How has your family reacted? You talked a little bit about maybe it being controversial, but how they reacted to your acceptance of Jesus Christ? Oh, my goodness. They were not happy about it at all. And uh, obviously, I've been a believer now for 27 years. When I first came to, to the knowledge that Christ was my Savior, uh, the tough part, of course, was for me to tell my parents. And they responded by saying, oh, you're not Jewish anymore. You've joined a cult. You, you've stopped being Jewish. And I remember saying to them, I said two things. I said, well, explain to me how I'm no longer Jewish when I've made the decision to believe in the greatest Jew who ever walked the face of the earth. Of which they said, don't talk back to your mother. So, you, you know, you can't win either way. Um, there is an emotional reaction. As I said earlier, Jewish people, by and large, do not read the Bible. Their aversion to Jesus comes basically upon what their rabbis have told them. They haven't done the investigation on their own, neither do they want to. And so it tends to be an emotional reaction. Appreciate that. Got time for, I think, one last question. Is any, are your parents saved today? They are not saved yet. Okay. Yet, but... We pray for them every day, and, and I honestly believe in my heart that, uh, in particular, my mother is going to come to salvation before she leaves this earth. You know what? I think we should just pray for Rabbi Jack's parents. Oh, Amen? Can we do that right now? We'd love that. Let's we'd just love bow our that. head. Father, we Thank just come you. to you in Jesus' name. And, Father, we believe in the power of prayer, yes. and we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit as the convictor and as the one that does the work. So mm. even as we speak right now, Lord, Rabbi Jack has done a mighty work running around the country working on lots of other people. But, Father, he has a burden for his own parents. So, God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that the power of the Holy Spirit would just go and just begin to work and continue to work in their hearts. Bring a sense of conviction to them that they would know clearly that the Messiah is Jesus. And, that's, and he's the only way. And he is the answer. So I pray for peace in his heart. And I pray for his family in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Bob, did you have a question? Go right, go right ahead. You got the last one tonight, brother. First uh, John 3, 4 says, For sin is a violation of the law. Mm -hmm. Whoever commits sin violates the law. So does the sin if we, if we violate those first five books. Is it a sin if we violate those first five books? I think I know where you might be going with that question, and I'm going to give you a very Jewish answer. On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, no. And let me explain. Oftentimes when I get into conversations regarding obeying the commandments of the first five books of the Bible, and I get this a lot as a Messianic rabbi, let me help you on, on how to navigate this. Um, as a Messianic rabbi of a congregation, I deal with a lot of people who still feel this incumbency to uh, observe each and every one of the 16, 613 commandments, or as many as they can, that were originally written under the law, and then will go so far as to say, well, if you don't obey them, you're being disobedient to the Lord. Here's the deal, and here's what we need to understand. We need to understand that when we look at the commandments of the first five books of the Bible, we have to understand that which is no longer and that which is eternal. Because we are looking at commandments in a book, and there are those who say, well, let's throw out the law. It doesn't apply anymore. And indeed, the book of Hebrews says the old law is obsolete. But yet, Paul in Romans 7 says, he says, now wait a minute. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. The law is spiritual. And I delight in it. 
So how can the Bible be saying two opposite things? And what do we do with that law? It's very easy. We obey the principle, not the penalty. Here's an example. Leviticus 17.11. God said, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. You want to observe that commandment in the original way that God gave it? You better bring a sacrificial animal here on Sunday to be sacrificed. But I don't think you're going to do it. And I don't think anybody here is going to do it because you understand that the penalty of that law is obsolete. However, as believers, we will indeed acknowledge yesterday, today, and always that we still need blood shed from a sacrifice for our atonement, only it's no longer a bull, a ram, or a goat. It is now and forever Christ Jesus who does it. So let's understand the law in its principle and stop getting so wound up in a penalty that we no longer have to obey. Appreciate the question. It's a good one to finish up with. Um, Before we head on out, a couple of uh, materials on our table that I want to, to tell you about that you may want to pick up. During my teaching tonight, I told you about a great guy by the name of Bill Koenig, a White House correspondent who shows how every time the United States pressures Israel to give away land, some type of natural disaster hits this country within 48 hours. He is one of the speakers on this DVD called Unlocking the Prophetic Mysteries of Israel. Jonathan Burnus, our executive director, is also a speaker talking about end-time prophetic signs happening right now regarding Israel. And the third speaker on here, great guy by the name of Dr. Randall Price, who uh, speaks about what signs we should look for so that we'll know if and when the third temple is going to be rebuilt. So pick that up if you can. Uh, Jonathan also has a book called A Rabbi Looks at the Last Days. And once again, how many of you know if you want to understand end times, you need to understand what's going on in Israel because this may come as a shock to you, but Jesus is not coming back to Petoskey. Amen? So it's, it's all in this book. Uh, wonderful worship leader by the name of Marty Getz, who uh, just leads us in what's called Messianic music. It is music in English, but it has a, a wonderful, wonderful Hebrew tune and beat to it, and it's all about Jesus. And uh, last but not least tonight, I mean, I've got so many materials on there but uh, that I want to talk to you about. We have two of these books that just came out called Confessing the Hebrew Scriptures. You'll see them on the table. One has a burgundy cover and one has a blue cover. And let me tell you why we did this. We get so many people who say to us, you know, I would love to be able to speak some words in Hebrew right out of the Bible, particularly when I'm praying, but I don't know how to do it. We've made it possible for you. In these two books, in in, in particular in this one, on every left-hand page... There's a beautiful, beautiful photo of some scenes in, uh, in Israel. On every right-hand page in this particular book, we have scriptures in here dealing with God's healing. So if you want to pray healing over someone, these books give you the scriptural references, first in English, then we show you what it looks like in the Hebrew language, and then under that, you've got the English transliteration so that when you say it, you're speaking actual Hebrew, but... What if you don't say the transliteration correctly? Because not everybody does. We've made it easy for you by putting a CD in the back so that you could hear it that way too. So great and wonderful books. So glad and thankful, by the way, once again, that you've come on out. Pastor? Can you just give us a, just a 
quick review or preview of what tomorrow night's going to be? I sure can. Tomorrow night, we are going to look at the biblical fall festivals that are found in Leviticus 23 that heretofore many have perceived as just simply being Jewish feasts, when in fact they always were, they are, and they always will be Jesus feasts. We're going to be finding Christ in the Old Testament and connecting Old Testament to New because they're all one book. So make sure you come tomorrow night and invite some friends too, okay? Praise the Lord. Let me send you off with that blessing. Jonathan gave you that blessing from the book of Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And I think what I'll do is I'll say it over you again in the English. And then after I say it over you, I will sing it over you in the original Hebrew and one of the earliest known Hebrew chants. And after I do, give me a two-second head start to get to the table so that I can meet you there in case you want to pick up materials or in case you want to give me your cards that you filled out. That's where you can give them to me. And once again, thanks for coming tonight. Really appreciate your being here. And for each and every one, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord our God lift up his countenance upon you and may grant you his peace. And sung in the Hebrew, it sounds this way. people said. God bless everybody. Give me those two seconds and I'll see you outside and let's give the Lord praise. It's been a great night and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow as well. Amen.